Do you have scripture reading in this church? Uh, is there a scripture reader? I read. Okay. Okay. Thank. Uh, it's, it's a great joy to be here among God's people, and I want to thank my good friend uh, Kopai for inviting me. Uh, yeah, indeed, we have known each other for a long time, and I think those in our class will not expect uh, both of us to be called to the same ministry which is to preach the incomparable Christ. And just a bit of correction, uh, I'm not a Liverpool fan. Yeah. But I have many friends who are Liverpool fans. So being a good Christian, I try to rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah. Last night, uh, if you are a Liverpool fan, are there many Liverpool fans here? Any? They top the table. Okay, you know Liverpool overtook Man City, who lost to Chelsea last night. <coughs> so I will, I will have about 40 minutes. Yeah. Okay. In my church, we we usually have the the scripture read, and then we do the the preaching. So I will read the scripture. Uh, Chapter 2 of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to that. And thank God for Matthew because today's text, it's a very special text. It includes the story of King Herod. And usually at Christmas, we just mention him in passing. And I was tempted to do the same, but as I reflect on the text, I felt that Matthew wrote it for a reason, and we ought to also uh, give him the due uh, time that is required. So as we read, uh, just pay attention to a few things. The title today is Responses to the King. And i show you my outline first, so as we read, you can try to figure where the text is according to my outline. The outline I sent Kokfai. Uh, was this. The first point is, who is humanity's true king? The second point is, the opposite responses to this true king. The responses of the Magi, or the wise men, and the rejection of Herod. And the third point for today's uh, text is divine guidance. True revelation and the last point is our proper response to God's purpose. Okay, these are the four points uh, that I will be sharing today. So let's read the scripture and you can see which verse fit which part. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star where, when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them 
where the Messiah was to be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, one by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. This chapter 2. 
Last week, we heard chapter 1, and I think your, your pastor preached on the genealogy of Jesus. And in chapter 1, uh, I think in chapter 1, you will see this, you will call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then another scripture was read, Isaiah, a virgin will conceive and give birth. A child will be born, his name was Emmanuel, which is God with us. That's how chapter 1 ended. So we start with chapter 2. His birth in Bethlehem during the time of King Herod. Bethlehem is important because that was where King David was born. So Bethlehem is important in the consciousness of the Jews and they were expecting a new king. They were expecting someone to deliver them, a Messiah. And so the word Messiah, Christ, uh, in Greek, Christos, but Messiah in Hebrew, really means the one that is anointed by God. And in the Jewish history, Jewish nation, anointing is reserved for three offices. The office of king, the office of prophet, and the office of priest. These are the anointed ones. So the king, the Messiah, usually refers to a coming king. And there was that expectation in Palestine or in Jerusalem, in Judea, in those days. So my first question I pose is, who is humanity's true king? Jesus is called king of the Jews in this chapter, in verse 2. And they asked, the Magi came and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? This phrase, king of the Jews in Matthew, appeared here in chapter 2, and it appeared again in chapter 27, verse 37. If you are a Christian, you are familiar. In chapter 27, that is the crucifixion period, the crucifixion scene. And that name, King of the Jews, was the charge on the cross. The charge on the cross. His crucifixion was for sedition. He claimed to be King of the Jews. Now this phrase, King of the Jews, is important. And this explains why Herod did what he did. Herod, King Herod, if you just Google Wikipedia, you will read, there are a few Herods in the Bible. This King Herod, this one in chapter 2, is the father of another one that appeared at the later part during the trial. That is his son. So there are two different Herods. This King Herod is called Herod the Great. And he was actually given the title King of the Jews by the Roman Senate. Pompey, General Pompey, conquered Jerusalem in BC 60s. And so Herod got into power as over Ju Jerusalem and Judea. And he was given this title, King of the Jews, by the Roman Senate. Now, 
Imagine if you are Herod and then Magi, some foreign dignitaries, some wise men or some scholars. Magi, we don't exactly know how to translate, so we just, we just keep the word Magi. But some people think they are rulers, some think they are astrologers, some think they are wise people. The Chinese Bible translates the Magi, Shi, which is the word for doctor. That means wise men. Okay? So these are not ordinary people who come. When they came to Jerusalem, verse 1, and asked the question, where is the one who is, has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in, when he rose and have come to worship him. What do you think King Herod will do? He will be distressed. Now who is humanity's true king? The Jews were expecting someone like King David, a great warrior, to deliver them. And ruling Israel at that time, or ruling Judea at that time, was Herod the Great. He was a great builder. He was a power-crazy person. If you read the history books, uh, Josephus wrote about him. He was uh, quite a wicked man. He murdered even his own children. He killed his own wife. Uh, he's that sort of man. This is in the history record. So the question is, who is humanity's true king is relevant before we answer the question how to respond to the king. So in chapter 2, verse 2, and in chapter 27, 37, two places in Matthew, the phrase king of the Jews is applied to Jesus. And the word Messiah is also applied to him. Now when Jesus preached, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So the, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, what is it? It's a fundamental question that defines what our religion really is all about. Now some believe that it will be like a King David, political king, so wielding worldly power. If that's your understanding, then you will expect maybe someone who will raise an army, or raise a rebellion against the Romans and release the Jews. But let's look at Jesus. How did he come? He came as a baby. He came to a poor family. And if you like, if you read later on, he was a refugee. He had to, his parents had to flee. Uh, Herod, and only after this Herod has passed away, out of Egypt, I called my son. So he came back. So he knows what it is like to be hunted down and to be a refugee. So life starts for this true king as a baby. And life on earth ends on the cross. Now many people like to say, and, and it's truly, he is Lord, he is Lord, you know. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This is true. But some people think that when Jesus comes again, he will terrify people and people will bow. But that's not my understanding of Jesus. 
as, at least from the presentation given by Matthew. If you look at the way Matthew presented this king, I believe that when he comes again and when people see the true king, they will gladly bow their knees and they will gladly call him Lord. It is difficult for us to worship someone who tyrannizes us. We can fear him, we can even serve him, but it's hard to worship. And it's impossible to love such a one. And there are many great people. This Herod was called Herod the Great, by the way. And there are many kings who are called great because of their great accomplishment. And they can rule by tyranny, by terrorizing you. And you can serve them. But not so Jesus. Not the way Matthew presents this king. So who is humanity's true king? And if you understand this king, you understand the kingdom he's announcing. The nature of the king defines the kingdom. He is a humble servant. He says, the son of man has come to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. He was a healer. He is a shepherd of compassion. He is a teacher of righteousness. And he died a sacrificial death. If this is the nature of humanity's true king, then when we say we respond to the king, we are asked to respond to this king. We are asked to respond to the Jesus that is preached in Matthew, in the Gospels, in the Bible. And I was very glad as I was worshipping with you and hearing all the songs and taking part in the communion. You, you sense that Jesus has won the victory. And there's so many people who are willingly coming to him not because they are terrorized by Jesus, but because they are drawn to Him and they want to offer their lives back to Him. This is humanity's true King. We see right through Matthew, so I will just jump. You're not doing a series on Matthew, right? Only three chapters. So I'll, I can jump a bit to talk about this true King. So when He preached, He healed, and so He the disciple that he was looking to form, which we always talk about in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. You cannot start there. That's the end. Actually, if you start from there, you can make a wrong kind of disciples. You must start from the front. Chapter 1, he came to save us from our sins. And then chapter 5, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of Jesus. Now, this is really the portrait of a disciple. If you are this kind of disciple, you are a peacemaker, you are merciful, you are seeking righteousness, you are pure in heart, you are meek, you have a poverty of spirit, you mourn over your condition, 
That is the kind of uh, disciple that Jesus wants us to make. So that's in chapter 5. I remember when, before I was a Christian, I was watching a TV show. It was a war movie. And it was showing this group of soldiers coming back to camp. They were, they were fighting a war and coming back. They were weary. They were tired. And they were coming back to their camp. And they heard the chaplain. The chaplain was reading the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the movie maker or the, the show read the whole Beatitudes. And you see the expression on the face of the soldiers. And as a young boy listening to that, not from a Christian home, but listening to those words, it hit me, it struck me. These are, these are precious words. These are words of someone from beyond. These are not words that I hear from in the newspapers. It's not something I read in school. But this is something that hits the heart tells you something about humanity's true king. And, and then in chapter 11, he says, he gives this great invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest. You shall find rest for your souls. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And then if you carry on in Matthew, a lot of teachings. And then chapter 23 is actually the wrong kind of discipleship. And then the cross event and so on. And then the crowning. And before chapter 28, the Great Commission. Remember this scene where James and John asked Jesus, can we sit on your left and right? And Jesus said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you prepared for the baptism I'm going to go through? And they say yes. And Jesus answered, that is not for me to give. The Lord has appointed those. But do you know Jesus' crowning was the cross? That was his crowning. And the one on the left and the one on the right, not James and not James and John, are the two revolutionaries. This is humanity's true king. So his purple robe, his crown of thorns. That is the crowning. We have seen the crowning. There is no greater crowning. The second coming is not going to be greater than what happened two thousand years ago. This is humanity's true king. But Herod did not understand this. So this is where we see the two opposite reactions. We saw the correct reaction in by the Magi, verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Wise men from the east could see something special. But Herod could not, 
And many people on today cannot because sometimes we preach a mixed gospel. We may not be preaching the true king. We may be preaching our own idea of what King Jesus is. But if you stay with a biblical portrait, we should be alright. And they give gifts to represent their worship. Now gold symbolizes kingship. The frankincense, that means the incense, symbolizes uh, priesthood. And the myrrh, the myrrh is equivalent to the anointing that he received from the woman, the alabaster, the alabaster jar, is for death. So, in a way, the three wise, uh, not three, sorry, the Bible did not say three, the Bible said magi from the east. Uh, this is in the carols, right? Yeah. Okay, so, I don't know how many, but there were some wise men and they gave gifts. But you, you would have heard that Jesus was raised poor and born poor, no room at the inn, and was a carpenter's son. So, uh, so the goal, I read a story, so I can't say this is true, but there's a story. Because they were warned later to flee, right? And they were poor. How do you flee? So, suggestion was the goal was used to buy a camel or to rent a camel so that they can just have a quick flight out of Egypt. So God provides. God provides the escape uh, means, means of escape. But there's one response. That means recognizing the true king, you bow and you worship and you give your best. This is, this is really Christianity. You give your best because the best has been given to you. And all these things about earning God's favor or I give so that God will bless me, those are not really the biblical picture of giving. You give your best and you give so that others will be blessed. Because we have in the church this great gospel, this great treasure. So to be called to preach the incomparable Christ is a high calling. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you some something about our history. Your pastor is on the school's honor roll, okay? You go to his school, his name is on the school hall. You don't know. His name is on the school hall. But my name is also in some list somewhere. <laughs> in the principal's black book. And that is true. So, we are both called to, to preach one thing only, the incomparable Christ. It's a high calling. And so I encourage those of you who God may be preparing to serve in some capacity or in a different capacity, just to remember to serve the king is no ordinary calling. Huh? And that's one response, the response of the Magi. But let's look at the other response, the Herod response. You know what? Go and find, then he pretend to say that I will worship him, right? Verse 8, go and search. Soon as you find him, report so that I may go and worship him. But you know what he did, right? In verse 16, he was furious when they outwitted him and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old 
and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the measure. Herod was a brilliant man. That's why he's called Herod the Great. I mean, to, to do what he was able to do takes some brains. But he was paranoid. He was a paranoid. He was also depressed. He was power crazy. He was furious. And he gave this order. Now, some people think this is not true because there's no historical record. But the other things we know about Herod, how he killed his own children, how he killed his own wife, and how he actually killed people so that they will be grieving during his funeral. He was afraid if he dies, no one moans. So he ordered some other people to be killed so that there will be real sorrow. That's the kind of man the King Herod was. And there are people like that. So he was furious and he gave this order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem, two years and under. And 17, that was, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That's from Jeremiah 31. What does this tell us? Actually, if you read newspapers, if you, if you follow politics, if you read history, you know the reality of sinful human nature. You know that what is being described here, it is not an exaggeration. It is actually among the lesser crimes of Herod, but still a terrible crime. Now, Bethlehem is a small village. It's not a big town, so the vicinity and all that so for boys under two, the historians calculated maybe in Bethlehem, boys under two, maybe ten. If you include the vicinity, maybe we don't know how big the vicinity. Maybe ten to thirty boys were murdered. Now you may ask this kind of message preached at Christmas. But Matthew put it there, and as I shared before, I wanted to just go with the orchard spirit. But as I meditated on the text, I felt that there are many, many verses given to this Herod. There are many verses given about this. I cannot just, uh, you know, brush it off. So, but why this, why this episode? Think of mothers who have lost their children. In my few years as pastor, I have occasion to counsel or to comfort mothers who have miscarriages. I even have cases where I have to do funerals for parents, uh, stillbirth, as well as teenage children committing suicide. Now you think of this, parents it's very painful, right? Why is Matthew putting this all here? Uh, this is reality of life. Christmas, remember, happened in very harsh conditions. The Romans were in charge. A terrible king was in charge. The people were poor and there were demon possession and all kinds of pain and sorrow. 
all kinds of sin and shame. And where there were Roman soldiers, and where there are soldiers, there will be the woman of the night, and there will be those uh, ancillary traits. And so Jesus chose to come in such a situation. So our Christmas message is a very powerful message. Rightly understood, it is the message humanity needs to hear. He came to save us from our sin. And humanity's problem is not lack of knowledge, it's not lack of resources. It's, it's lack of knowledge about our sin condition. There is the problem of sin. That's why Matthew chapter 1 started with he came to save his people from their sin. So I love this old hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. So Christmas is really about bringing healing to people everywhere. And joy, true joy, the joy from the heart, the joy of seeing others being released or relieved, or others being comforted. That is the joy of Christmas. So there are there are two responses. We can worship. We can also reject, as in the case of Herod. Or we can explore, learn more about this Jesus of Nazareth. My third point is a side point because it's in the text, so it's about divine guidance. So we see that it, how God leads us is through Scripture. So when they were asked, where and when. So the, the wise men quoted Micah, chapter 5. In Bethlehem, in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, scripture, and later when Jesus came out of Egypt, out of Egypt, I call my son Hosea. Now, God also has special revelation here uh, through dreams. Chapter 12, uh, verse 12 Having been warned in a dream not to go back, they returned to their country by another route. And up, chapter, verse 19 Herod died. Angels of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Go and take the child and mother, go to Israel. So, God can appear to us in dreams, even today. So we can't limit how God leads. Huh? And thirdly, God leads also through circumstances. So we read 22, when he heard that Archelaus, the son of Herod, was reigning in Judea in place of his father, he was afraid to go there. Judea, Judea is in the south. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and live in a town called Nazareth. But you see, Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea. So Herod has died, but his son is in charge. So he decided to go someplace safe. He went as far north as he can to Galilee, 
Galilee is considered Galilee of the Gentiles. And therefore, Galilee is, uh, is to the Jews, uh, is Paria country. That's why in John's Gospel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth and was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So I want to stress this thing about uh, circumstances, discerning the times, and there are indications. So in this case, Herod, looking at the political situation, make a decision. A lot of parents do that, so sometimes you move to another country for the children's education or whatever. So God actually gives us uh, wisdom to discern circumstances. We pray for wisdom. So the last thing I just want to clarify is that he will be called a Nazarene. There's no verse that says he will be called a Nazarene. But the word Nazarene in Aramaic, uh, Nazar, means a branch. And in the Old Testament, there are predictions about the Messiah and say a branch will sprout up. Okay? So it may be a play of, uh, it's a pun, a play of words. And so Matthew uh, say he'll be called a Nazarene. Maybe he's making a reference uh, to this idea that a branch is coming. So God is still guiding. Whether it's a star, whether it's scripture, whether it's dreams, whether it's circumstances, God guides. Even today. So what should be our proper response to God's purposes? I have three minutes or four. <laughs> Do we follow Herod? Reject the Messiah or try all means to expunge him from your life or follow the Magi, seek him and give him your best. As a pastor, we always tell people, turn to Jesus, come as you are. So Jesus said, come to me, all the labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Now, the story of the mothers who lose their children is to tell us that life is hard. That there will be difficult situations, there will be pain, there will be anxiety, uh, there will be sorrow, and there is sinfulness. But that's not the last word. He has come to help us in our sinfulness by giving us a new heart, to comfort us in our pain, to ease our sorrow, to quell our anxiety. So if you read Matthew chapter 6, you know the great phrase, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. It was not spoken to tell you to seek the kingdom. No, that's not the... It's to tell, it was to tell them, don't be anxious. Really, that was the point. If you read the whole context. But of course, we will, it's a great verse that truly seeking the kingdom, God will take care of all things. That is true. But you always have to ask, which king are you seeking? Which Jesus are you following? But if, if you follow this Jesus of Matthew, this is going to be the result. Love. Peace. Joy. A wrong order. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. Which is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Which is what makes a true Christian disciple. So my last line is, I'll end with a Christmas carol, Joy to the World, we sang just now. I was waiting for this line, this line didn't appear. He came to bring his blessings. A joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, right? Uh, he rules the world with truth and grace and make the nations proof, the glories and all that. There's this line that he came to bring his, to let his blessings flow. To let his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. So Christmas is really about bringing blessing in place of curse. And that's why we can say, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let us receive the King. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for the Gospel of Matthew and for the season of Christmas. And we thank you for raising this church, Pasir Panjang Hill, brethren. And through them, Lord, bringing your good news to so many people. Pray for your blessing upon this church and upon Pastor Kokfai and his team. The Lord, they will continue to shepherd your people with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.